0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to our NCS webinar focusing on the issue of state advocacy. Um, I'm Jill Escher, I'm the president of NCSA, and here I have a co-host, Leanne Morfitt, who is our policy chair and also um, the coordinator of our National Grassroots Network. We have two speakers today. Um, our first speaker will just address us briefly, and that is Gail Gertis. You can say hi, Gail. Um, from uh, Washington D.C., and she's actually a lobbyist. She's a vice president at Health Policy Source, um, which is an advocacy group um, based in D.C. And then our featured speaker today is Susan Goldstein, who's a designated professional lobbyist at the Legis Group, um, which is in Florida. Legis. Legis Group, which I can never get right, and uh, Legis Group. Um, but she started off like. All of us. She was an autism parent and she took her advocacy all the way to becoming a state legislator. And now she works as a, a professional advocate. Pretty amazing story, in my view. So I think we're just going to get this going um, for the sake of time. And we're going to go ahead. We're going to start with Gail. And Gail's going to talk a little bit um, not about state advocacy, obviously about federal level advocacy. And she has a couple slides. Do you want to go ahead and share those, Gail?
1: Absolutely. I will hopefully quickly share my screen here. Can everyone see that? Jill and Leanne? It's there. Yep. All right. Great. So I'm Gail Gerties. I'm with Health Policy Source. We are a boutique, we like to call it, uh, lobbying firm in Washington, D.C. We've been around for over 20 years. And we are a team of four people and that allows us to give very personalized services for the needs of a client. So we can be a little bit more nimble, which I think is very helpful because in DC, things happen in chunks and are a bit unpredictable while there certainly are patterns and and things that have to happen, how they happen and when they happen has a lot of variability. So um, we try to uh, make ourselves available and adaptable to update approaches and communications with whether it's Capitol Hill staff, so that's the House and the Senate, or whether it's with federal agencies such as um, ACL or HHS or Medicaid issues, which I know Susan will get into on the state side, but also really have a large component on the federal side as well. Um, we also track uh, judiciary issues. If there's cases that are impacting um, issues related to your priorities, we're gonna be watching those and making sure that we give you updates on that as well. Uh, so Let's see here, I can. So what do we do? We communicate when proposed federal regulations are released. There was a proposed rule released earlier this week that deals with the ADA and Um, Section 504, and so that's one of the things that I'm going to be reviewing and um, advising on if it's worth commenting on. If so, helping with um, the submission of those comments, and we provide updates and information on any relevant legislation that's garnering traction. There's one today that I sent to Leanne and Jill that I think Jill said she put on the website, and it's a small subset of y'all. So I will, I will share more than I think you need so that then Jill and Leanne, they can say, yep, this is this is helpful for a lot of our folks or a small fraction of our folks, But I want to make sure that you have all the information you need on what's going on in Congress. Um, I will assist with engagement with members of Congress, select committee staff and key congressional staffers. We want to be mindful of your time. And we are here to be, often we say, the third arm for NCSA. And so over the past few weeks since we've been working together, we've had a handful of Capitol Hill meetings with some NCSA staff and members, as well as I've been on the Hill talking to staff and and giving them an introduction if they need it to NCSA as well. Um, We also assist with strategic engagement of federal agency leaders, and that gets back to kind of the HHS, the ACL, um, Medicaid officials. And so as that's appropriate, whenever that's appropriate, we will make those connections so that they know exactly what the nuanced needs and priorities are of you and your families and your family Mm -hmm. members. And then we provide summaries of federal meetings and hearings that, again, are related to Mm -hmm your priority. So I will attend in person sometimes because I want to touch base with the people in person or I'll watch them online, a variety of meetings. Um, There's one next Monday that I will be attending. No, I apologize in October that I'll be attending in Rockville that deals with some disability issues that I want to make sure that I'm there to, to meet other um, federal staff that handle your issues so that they know as clearly as they can, you know, what you're push looking for from the federal government what you need. So, um, this is just a real brief overview of how you as members, and Leanne has been fantastic, and I know she's working um, and, and may say something in a second about some of the state leaders and stuff. Um, so I'm excited for that because I will get to hopefully meet the state leaders as we continue our work together. But as NCSA members, one thing on the federal level that uh, you can do independent of me and Leanne and NCSA is you can reach out directly to your two senators and your member of the House, your representative in the House. And you, anytime that you see or feel that your um, family member is not receiving services that they are legally obligated to receive, and it's just, and it's not that the that the district staff or state staff are going to be able to make it happen overnight but they can be a tool in your toolbox of a to um to be a resource for you and in taking a few minutes to talk with them and email them you're elevating the needs of this community um, to the congressional level, and they will communicate that with the with the DC office as well. So it's just a really everybody's time is precious, and I don't want to give send anyone down a rabbit hole. But this is a way um, that you can potentially get real help, and two, you will definitely help elevate um, the needs and of your of the NCSA members and their families. So, and then the second part here with the emails and meetings with congressional staff, that's something that. Just look at it. It's it's more what I'm gonna be pushing to you over the coming months with Leanne and 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 probably even with the state directors. And we'll just make this as easy for you as possible to, to uh work with us and to elevate your message to your members in Congress because as a constituent, you are the most important voice they can hear from. So with that, I'm gonna kind of pause and I know Susan's got a lot tonight and she I've heard her on the podcast if you haven't heard her on the podcast with Jill it's fantastic um, interview Um, but you'll see more of me over the coming months please know that I'm here please uh, if you have questions for me Jill and Leanne know how to get in touch with me and I'm more than happy to um, visit with anyone or give tips to anyone that I may be able to offer in the interim um, before you hear from me with requests from me.
0: Thank you so much, Gail, for that wonderful introduction to the sort of work you do, you're doing, and especially the sort of work you're doing with NCSA. Um, We just started working with Health Policy Source some months ago, um, and um, we uh, really needed much more of a direct line into DC. Um, You know, NCSA has a bunch of board members, but none of us are there in the beltway. We aren't there and you know we don't have all these people on our Rolodex so it was really important for us to create that connection and so if you're a donor to NCSA by the way thank you because um, you're you're helping us um, go to the next level. Um, I also want to say if you do have questions feel free to type them into the Q&A and of course um, we will ask them mostly at the end but if there's if it's necessary to butt in we will. Um let's move on to our featured Speaker, do you want and to say I, I
1: do have um okay. a meeting? I think I'd mentioned it. So I'm gonna, okay. I am gonna officially sign off, sign off. But thank y'all you for your time. And again, just reach out with any questions you have.
0: Okay, if you could just stop share. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gail. I right. appreciate your time. Thank you. Susan, you can start share. And and I will unmute you. Or ask to unmute. Okay, now you have to unmute yourself down at the corner.
2: I think I did that. You did. did. I? Yeah, you're perfect. Perfect, I'm good. perfect. Okay, good. All right. Now how do I get rid of you two? Because you're covering my...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can. Oh, now your slides have moved over precipitously. Um, really? Yeah.
1: Oh God.
0: It's it yeah. Your slides. Are you having the same problem, Leanne, where the slides are too big for the screen? Oh, let's try
3: that. How's that? Well, now we see your whole slideshow. There we go. If people, if people are having, if they go to their um, where they shows the grid of the speakers, they can kind of shrink that down so it's not interfering. It looks fine for me. At my are viewpoint. you seeing the
0: entire slide?
3: I mm-hmm. am, and I know oh, one of it's our just me. One of our attendants said the slides look fine for um, them as well. So I think we're okay. Yeah, I think we're okay. Well,
0: as my goofy computer. Go ahead, Susan. Don't listen to me.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, my name is Susan Goldstein, and I am the mom of a severely autistic daughter. She's 32 now. So I've been doing this since she was two. So 30 years I've been doing this. And um I just want to make sure that everyone understands, you know, how I ended up where I am now. And so when I watch Gale, it makes my head spin to see what happens at the federal level. Although I've been up there several times representing clients, it, I would much rather stay closer to home and I feel like I can get more done. I did try it. I do have some friends that I served with that are now in Congress, um, but it is, it, it's a very arduous, arduous process. So I'm gonna try to show you how to make it a little bit easier. I'm with the Legis Group, I have two partners and they're both former members um, like myself. And both of them were much, much higher level um, leadership than I was. Rob was the rules chair who decided what went onto the floor for a vote, which is probably the third most powerful and and also human services chair. And Doug (coughs) Holder was commerce chair. Um, which meant he controlled a lot of what happened in business. So I used to lobby them for my issues. And when they left office and hung out a shingle, I had so much business that I started working with them. So we do everything, education, health and human services, business and government. (coughs) I'm going to give you some effective advocacy lessons that I have learned both from being a parent and as a member. This is what I'm going to go over in my presentation. I'm going to go over my background. I'm going to talk about how to get involved at locally and engage locally, and then how that drives you to get involved statewide. And then there's even a higher level, which is more political action committees and influencing uh, elections, and then strategies for passing legislation, which we have done successfully. And uh, Jill asked to talk about some current efforts, some past successes, and then we'll take some questions. Okay. Anyone can do this. I My background uh, was in finance. I was a proprietary bond trader for a New York stock exchange firm. Um, when Steffi was diagnosed, I decided to take a leave of absence, which became permanent. And because it was just so, so much, so fast at me. Um, And then I evolved into a lobbyist. But when I started the journey, I never could have imagined the impact and the amount of influence have um, on policy and on on, um, assistance for people providing you know services just by opening your mouth. and uh, the way I started doing that is having been a bond trader, I was I was raising money through syndications for municipalities, big cities states, uh, bonds for hospital districts and and what have you. a lot of public funding and I knew how to raise money when stephanie was diagnosed she went to the only school this was 1994 the only school in the entire area back then autism was one in ten thousand and it just so happened that she ended up in school with michael marino dan marino's son at the time he was there he was still playing for the dolphins everybody knew who he was we're trying to raise funds because there were so many people on the waiting and people that could not afford intervention. There were no programs. And so we started doing fundraising and I was telling Jill uh, in my last podcast that the first fundraiser I did was a spaghetti dinner and Dan's mom made the meatballs and we didn't make very much money. And I thought, Good Lord, with Dan Marino, we could make a lot more money. And so we started doing other big events like galas and golf tournaments and auctions and lots of different things. But it never seemed like it was enough money. The kids just kept coming and coming. So one of the things that I did after um, we started raising a lot of money is I was invited to be on the board of governors at Nova Southeastern University where the Bowdoin School was um, located. And I thought, wow, this isn't bad. You know, you don't, if you're volunteering, you don't have to worry what you say. Like you're not gonna lose your job because it's a volunteer position. So um, I helped drive that board agenda to expand that program. And, and we expanded it to statewide efforts. And so long story short, I went to Tallahassee, my husband and I with Dan and Claire got $2 million, for a therapeutic intervention program. It was a pilot program and, um, it utilized four or five different disciplines within the university, which was speech therapy, OT, audiology, even back then, cause we thought maybe there was something wrong with their hearing, uh, and behavioral and, uh, Every year after that, the money wasn't recurring. So I had to go to Tallahassee and present the outcomes and show everyone what we did with this money and how many kids we helped and how much more we needed. And uh, while I was up there, I started doing other things like helping to get group homes for children. We had no group homes for children that had uh, a lot of aggression and um, uh, serious behavioral challenges. So we did a group home with... uh, four uh, overnight respite beds and, and two semi-permanent beds. And we got the funding for that. At the time, Dan was starting the uh, hospital in Weston, which was the neurological diagnostic center with Miami Children's. And as a result, uh, people were moving to our area, and we needed more and more and more. It was never enough. so. Uh, I got a call one day from the incoming speaker and asked me if I would consider running as um, a candidate. We had just, we had just voted term limits in. And so I, um, I laughed, my husband laughed and he said, this is Wes Broward, you're never going to win. But honestly, um, I did. I won. I I was, I mean, it's a very, very blue area. And having been in the bond business, I was a registered Republican because I, that's how I voted for my business prior to even realizing that I would ever be in a position where I would have to help my daughter and my family. But in any event, um, I ran against a city uh, city commissioner, and I won um, because I drew a distinct line between human services and social services. I said the people that God put on this earth that can't help themselves are the first people that we need to help. And it, it really hit home with a lot of people. Um, And so I became a state representative and it was probably one of the high points of my life walking into that chamber and seeing my name up there after having, you know, gone through hell and and, and have been at the lowest point in my life learning about Stephanie's diagnosis. And um, of course I was, targeted uh for re-election. And I'll I'll tell you that story later on. But in any event, that's how I ended up becoming um a lobbyist. But do you know that throughout that whole process, you run into so much adversarial nonsense that no good deed goes unpunished. And that's why I put that at the bottom. All right, I'm gonna take a thing of water. All right, advocacy is an ongoing process. At first, I wanted to get everything done. Okay. But then I realized you first have to amplify your voice. You have to let people know at the local level how many uh, are in your constituency. You have to build your vision locally and you have to expand your influence uh, throughout the local area. And you must persevere. It's not a one-time issue that you're going after like many people. It's a marathon. You have to run a marathon, but you cannot sprint at first. You only sprint when necessary. And you have to become resilient and hear the word no, and you've got to outwork everybody. you got to outwork your opposition and can't give up. And I just wanted to add that because, you know, people are so... Um, used to fighting for their it's you're fighting for your family you're fighting for your kids and that's what i did these are the local efforts that i think i became branded at the bottom you'll see it says brand yourself i was branded i was branded the autism lady and i didn't care um nobody really knew what autism was but i pushed myself into every meeting at the local level every county commission meeting every city committee meeting there's always at the end of those meetings unity for public input i always said why aren't our kids included in that recreation Why aren't our-? so I always, whether it was the Children's Services Council, which was our taxing district district at the time, you know, they only service, provided regular services with regular providers for typical children. And I said, where where are your special needs services? Why aren't we getting them? So I even went to the hospital district meetings. Now, when I say taxing districts, these people are getting money from our, our real estate taxes. And so, I'm paying for somebody else's family to have programs, but my family wasn't getting those. My my daughter wasn't getting those programs. So we even I even went to you know work with the medical the medical professions division at the university when I couldn't get Stephanie in the dentist to say you guys need some dental programs for kids with autism. In any event, we went. I went to school board meetings. There were, pro- were uh, sub-meetings to school board that parents could get involved in, like the district advisory councils and the additional student ed- education advisory ad hoc budget. I got on that budget committee, and because I was also on the district advisory committee, I was able to make motions at school board meetings for audits to say to see why the money that was coming down from the federal government for IDEA wasn't following the children, um, there are also state and local agencies, district offices. So, any agency in Tallahassee—I'll say Tallahassee—but your state capital, any agency in your state capital has re- regional offices. Whether it's DCF or the Agency for Persons with Disabilities, Agency for the Department of Health, where Children's Services, uh, the, the Children's Medical Services come from, they all have local offices. Go in, find out who is working the population the uh, the autism population um so right there you can hit like three or four different agencies that are in tallahassee right there in your region i even went work with our share apartment because at the time i was trying to get middle and high school after school care for kids with autism so their parents didn't have to leave work um we had a parent, uh, I had a parent contact me and say, son, um, was arrested. And I knew her son. He was, about, I don't know, six foot tall. He was in school. He was nonverbal, very autistic. The mom, it was an early release day. The mom didn't get home in time to pick, to get him right off the bus. And so the nurse, called the police and said there was a Prowler because he was trying to get in and he didn't have a key he was looking in the windows. And so the police came and because he was not compliant, because he didn't answer them perfectly or properly, they hurt him. They they beat the heck out of him. And so the parents called me and asked if I would go on this television show with them so that they could um, you know, chastise the, the the sheriff's department and, and at the same time i was still trying to get middle high school kids that were not latchkey kids they couldn't go by themselves we didn't need programs back then so i called the sheriff's department and i asked him you know i said listen working on some programs you had a terrible terrible episode it's gonna go viral that viral wasn't a word back then it's gonna go on the news And uh, he said, uh, well, what do you want? So what do you want to do? And I said, honey, I want $150,000 for our middle and high school after school program. And first he said, Susan, I think that's extortion. I said, no, it's not extortion. This is what we need. That's why our kids are getting hurt. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If I put up 70,000 and get the school board to match that, You with your program, and that's how we originally got program started in Broward County for middle and high school kids with developmental disabilities. And sometimes it takes really bad, um, it takes lemons to lemonade. It was a really situation, but you know, it because that mom was so and so outspoken and ready to walk on. You know, the local news. That's how we got our program started. And you know, it's nice to make sure that you know what every other community organization is doing. We worked with the Dan Marino Foundation, ARC, Jacksonville's for autism. It's nice to collaborate. Not only do you get to um understand the programs, see if you could maybe get them in your public schools, but you can also um, use constituency there there's a lot of kids that that are in the constituencies and you'll you'll understand what i'm talking about when we when we move forward but that's how we created a lot of local programs so we move on here you no know, it's a lot but these are just some of the boards that i sat on i got involved i did this so that i could capture those constituencies um The Autism Society, of course, is the first one that everybody really goes to. But then uh, advocacy is infectious. I mean, I can't tell you how many groups started from this little autism society that we had. The SPEC was the Support for Parents of Exceptional Children. They had meetings, meetings. uh, reaching potentials was another. Back then, we called it low-cost discrete trial training. But they offered, they worked to find and train people that could could offer that. This was before any certifications for uh, certified behavior analysts or anything. And the uh, you know the YMCA. I wanted to make sure that they had therapeutic pools for our kids. They had things for our kids. So all of these things that I sat on, I kept lists of everybody. Anyway, there's some, some organizations, you know, you could tie it off, want to be involved with. So my biggest and, and, and uh, most valuable advice is do not stay involved in a toxicization. All right. I know this is a lot coming at you. Okay. I just wanted you guys to have all of this um, without me having to say it all and, and you take notes but it's pretty much a synopsis of what I just went over. Foundation, advocacy is an ongoing process, amplify your voice, persevere, become resilient. So this is especially effective at the state level. So educate yourself about autism and explain to your local representatives, not just your commissioners and your county commissioners, but also your state representative, your state senators, and even your federal people. Um, Explain the impact on your child and, and the supports that you have and understand child's needs and what the existing resources are. Join support networks, engage in the community, engage with professionals. This is important. Engage with professionals and provider industry associations, especially therapists and educators who provide services because they can come and testify for you when you get to the point where you're helping to craft policy. So it's always nice to have people that are experts in the field that could come and work with you in Tallahassee because you're, I was not an expert in anything except, you know, bonds. So um, I worked with Dr. Alessandri at the center in Miami. and uh, Doctor Roberto Tuchman is at the Damarino Marino Hospital. I brought them all to Tallahassee, and and told them, you know and and explained to them that they needed to get up and testify about you know the extreme population, et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking too much. <laughs> also attend workshops and conferences. Okay, I I attended workshops and conferences. And, but know the answer to questions and know the questions they're not asking. And you ask the questions. And if they don't know the answers, you tell them. And and typically it's about uh, services. It's about what happens in schools. There's so many things. But you can join these local organizations. Uh, you can join national organizations. But always just I just gathered as much information as I could. Um, I always had something in my back pocket when I went to Tallahassee. I had information, and it is valuable. Build relationships with your elected officials and policymakers. It's meetings they have a town hall. Go talk about uh, um, autism, talk about services, talk about you know transitioning from school to work. Talk about uh, adults and and the services that are lacking. And share your personal stories, but use use your your social media, your blogs, newspapers, if something happen, happens that you are not in favor of, write an editorial and send it in and say, this is not right. It's wrong. You know, we should not have rate reductions. Every other, there was there were some periods during the time I was advocating where, you know, all, all the agencies had to take a 10% cut. It's like, Okay, how about the people that put the trees along the highway? How about they take a 20% cut and let us keep our money? Because, you know, when you sit down at the table with your family and you have to make cuts, you don't decide that, you know, you're going to cut the medicine and still pave your driveway. And, and you know, that's how, what they always claimed. Oh, we have to make cuts like everybody else. Anyway there's there's priorities involved, but collaborate with your schools and your education sh- systems and build positive relationships because they can help you uh, create programs. Also identify, and this is really important, identify any legal guidance and advocacy groups. Like we have the advocacy center because if you encounter barriers or discrimination or accessing any appropriate services, you have to know your rights in special ed and in an in, uh, aspect of disabilities. All right, legislative lobbying. That's our capital right there. This is, I ended up in, in Tallahassee, but um, before that I became involved. I, the best way to become involved is to become informed learn the process, learn what has to go through committee, learn what you can get in to the budget with just language, without passing bills, learn the rules, basically. Contact and visit your legislators. Make sure they know who you are. And have, sit down in their, I would say their district office, meet with them in their capital offices, meet with district offices. Candid conversations about your children and about your situation um, about the support and the lack of programs. And I never brought my daughter to Tallahassee because she wouldn't be able to tolerate all of it. Uh, She has serious sensory issues, not to mention the seven hour trip, but um, I have no problem bringing my daughter to the district office. And my local legislators knew who my daughter was and was easier for me to pay especially if something happened it gave me a it gave me a reason to contact them um also really important get to know your legislative aides aides hold the keys and the aides listen to your story before they give it to your member your member and um they pretty much uh decide what gets before them and what doesn't so always get to know your aides establish a very strong relationship with them some of them don't last long they're very little um a lot of them are interns but it it, typically the person that you're dealing with it's an intern ends up being the head legislative affairs person for the member so they they work their way up so always be kind and let them know who you are um Share your knowledge with them. If you have knowledge, um, or if you see a bill that's in a committee that that you know their members are a part of, give them a question to ask. Uh, give them some data. Let them know you know what the prevalence is in your area or on your in your state for autism issues. But definitely share your knowledge because then you'll become their source. They'll call you when they have a question. One thing I must, and 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 this happened to me when I was a member, never lie to a, to a lawmaker, never lie to a legislature, never embellish. Accuracy is essential. Always be respectful and courteous. Uh, I'll never forget the time. And and I never, ever took a meeting with this man again. He represented a very large organization that serviced a lot of people. And he lied to me. He lied to me and said that, you know, several three or four different organizations were in agreement and we want to get this legislation passed and I was like that's terrific and it was my first year and as it turned out he made me look like a fool because I didn't go back and check with these agents if they really were uh in line with his language and uh I never, I never took another meeting with him. So never lie, always tell the truth and become a force to be reckoned with. Here's some valuable tips for success. The squeaky wheel, I was the squeaky wheel. You gotta be the squeaky wheel. Um, One of the things that I did is I would invite legislators to speak at my meetings. If I had a meeting or if I was on the board or if I, for an organization, I would invite them to come and speak if there's more than 50 people at a meeting, you better believe they want to come and speak, especially in their own district. That's folks for them. I would also have them tour programs and facilities. I always had a little elevator speech um, in case somebody said, oh, I saw you in committee. You know, let us know what we can do to help. And it did help. It happened to me with the, the, the PBA, the Police Benevolent Association. I said, yeah, you can help. You happen to know this chairman, uh, prudent at the time. And and, um, he said, yeah, I I know. And I'm like, you think you would get me on his agenda? Because I had a a bill that I was, back then, it was the autism insurance bill. But in any event, always be prepared because you never know who you're going to run into, especially if you're at the Capitol. And one of the things that I do is I, if I can't get a meeting with somebody, I know their schedule because it's published and I know what committees they serve on. So if I need to get to a legislator i will wait for him to come out of his office to walk to his next committee and say can i work with you i just needed to talk i just you know i just have one question about what's going to happen today in your meeting so you know people stand in line to get in these offices if you can't get a meeting just ask them very politely do you mind if i walk with you i just want to ask you one question and and so sometimes you don't have to wait behind 50 people that are you know Upset about what's going to happen in a committee or something. So um, that always helps. And typically they're very nice, but always be a consensus builder. There's always opposition, even within your own um constituency. You know, it's not a one size fits all. Some people are much more severely afflicted, other people want forced inclusion. So y- you have to um you have to work with the opposition and uh i can remember my head spinning when i was a member and at one point i said listen if you guys can't figure out what you want how do you expect me to figure it out so i know that's what other members feel when they get different um requests uh with respect to different legislation. So it's always good to collaborate with others and say, "Well, maybe we can't get this next year. Maybe we get this. Maybe we can't get it there. But maybe if we get this this year, we'll get it next year." And that's something you have to make sure that these people know and that are making the laws. You're not going away if you don't get it done this year. You're just coming back next year, and that's what I tell them. If I can't get this this year, I'm going to come back next year, and you and and you know you don't threaten but i usually come back stronger with more more organizations more people um it's also uh helpful on now with these these social networking sites always you know legislators contact the media editorial boards press conferences if there's something that's terribly wrong that you know is going on you can um you can create a a, a group um and uh go public spread the word get more people to get behind you if you're going public for or against something activate your grassroots your school groups strengthen numbers but never give up never walk away because then they'll think that you'll do it every time so you walk away one time and and you you with your tail between your legs you know, it it doesn't help you the next time you need something. So always stay involved, always ask questions, and always follow up. Do you want me to take a breath, or should I keep going, Jill?
0: <laughs> oh no, you're doing fine. Um, keep on going. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll take questions at the end. I saw I saw quite a few are coming in.
2: Okay. This was when I was a legislator you create awareness events so that people know that you know there's a, a lot of um, a lot of strength behind your constituency. This was a resolution that I did when I was in office for Autism Awareness Day at the Capitol, and they've had it every single year since then. That's um, our Majority Leader, Adam Hasner. This was in the Majority Office, and uh, we worked with the Centers for Autism and Related Disabilities. And that was a full room with media and parents. And, you know, we talked about all the legislation. You have to, you know, discuss it, and when you do There's so many people that need these programs. They just show up in support. But one of the things I want to recommend is for people to apply for appointments, apply for appointments to state governing boards. Now you can do this in any area, whether you're an expert or not in education, employment, HHS, Medicaid, DBPR is our Department of Business and Professional Regulation. They sanction all certifications. Uh, the governor and the, presi- the presiding officers have hundreds of appointments. The presiding officers are the Speaker of the House and the Senate President. Every, every time something passes where there's a some kind of a board that makes some kind of a decision, there's appointments, and the appointments, uh, you know, are usually given to the Senate President, the Speaker, and the governor, just like the DD Council. If you get recommended to be on the DD Council, you have to be confirmed, by the governor, or there, you you might be an appointee by the speaker. But this happens for provider certifications, for behavioral people, therapeutic con- uh, credentials. All the local taxing districts have um, appointees that have to be confirmed by the governor, uh, hospital boards, the exceptional education boards. These are very powerful. They, even though you get paid nothing, At least in Florida, you do get to make decisions on a very large constituency of professionals. I mean, to tell you, when I started this, I could have become a certified behavior analyst by taking one test and signing my name. Now you got to go through four years of training. And so... All of that um, adds cost. I mean, we, like I said, we did low loss back then, discrete trial training, but it was basically the same thing as ABA. And now the costs of the, the the direct support professionals who do this are like this because they had to get all of these extra uh all of these extra degrees and and uh, continuing education, so it's always good. Just go on your governor's page, and and there'll be an appointments area for your speaker or your center president, and see what shows everything that's open. And if you want to one of these boards, it's it's always. A- All right, one thing I wanted to touch on, I had to touch on this. Pause. I'm gonna. Talk about emails from a member's perspective, okay? Tips for emailing public officials. First of all, make sure your subject fits on one line where if you look at the phone, you don't have to click on it to read the rest of it, okay? Short subject. And make sure if you've got a whole bunch of people uh, uh, sending emails about the same subject that you don't use the same subject line because that's how you filter that's how the members filter their emails. I have to tell you, my first, my first, uh, my first session was a special session for Terry Shimo. You all remember who that is, and I got over a million emails. So, ones that I needed to see were not available to me because I was so barraged. The systems crashed. It was horrible. But um, there's definitely more enhanced um, filters. So if you're writing about a subject from the same group for an issue, don't use the same subject line. Use five or six or seven or eight or even 10 different subject lines that say the same thing because if it says the same thing in your subject line, your email is going off. And, I, um, and if I'm a member, I'm not even gonna see it. Uh, use proper titles, of course, and always recognize positions. Don't write an email to the leader or to the speaker and call them Representative Renner, call them Speaker Renner. Cause even though, you know, we're just parents and we really should know that, it does irritate some people who are in those positions. Use clear readable fonts, open with personal information. My name is Susan Goldstein. I'm the parent of a a 32-year-old. Make sure you tell them who you always be respectful, courteous. Tell them immediately if you are a constituent. Um, I live in your my name's uh Susan, I have a daughter, I live in your district. This is what we need. If you write to a A chairman of a committee that might be hearing an issue or might be voting on a budget then you tell them who your representative is and say i'm not a constituent but i do have a daughter and this is going to be very detrimental please vote against this and then immediately contact your legislator and say I was just in contact with the chairman of the committee. Can you please go and tell him, them that I am your constituent and to please vote against this? And, you know, if you tell them what to do, sometimes they do it a lot of times. And don't use any acronyms because many people don't know, especially with term limits. There's so many new people. And always, always, always follow up. All right. We're getting to the end, people. Anybody recognize this guy? That's Dan Marino's Walkabout Autism. So in order to have any type of real political influence, you can talk about all your groups all you want, but a picture is worth a thousand words. Show proof of your strong constituency and your network. We had over 20,000 people at this. People knew that we... Um, We had a lot of votes. Anyway, the best thing to do with these also is to recognize, especially the local public officials, if they're helping you. If they're not helping you, don't recognize them. But if they're helping you, recognize them at public events like this. Members love to go in front of thousands of people. Um, Fundraise for individual candidates who really help you. At, um, you know, ours is a, a maximum of $1,000 per individual. Um, I never ask for $1,000 checks. When I bundle checks for members from constituencies like parents, I ask for 20 $25 checks because I can walk in with $525 checks and hand it to a member. And his opponent might get five one thousand dollar checks from trusts, and so when they're building their war chest, and the and the press is looking at their their uh, fundraising because you have to file uh, financial reports, they'll see this guy has a five five hundred donated to his his campaign, only maybe four, maybe a dozen donated to the and so that's why bundling low amounts is exactly what uh, candidates want and keep every contact keep every contact from every uh group that you associate with keep them by email and by city and by profession if you could get it so that you know who does what and you know they might be able to help you with some events, maybe advertising or putting together videos. But the most important thing for me was in helping members and their um, elections, because we're talking now about political influence. If you help people get elected, they will remember you. One of the things that I do is when I talk to a member who I like and I want to help, who is in very very much in support of our issues? I say, what cities are in your district? Some of them have five. Some of them have nine. Some of them have thirteen. Some of them have several counties. I want to know. I, I, I want to know a list of every city because what I do is I write a letter. I write a letter to everybody that I have on my email list and say. And I did it once for, um, for a member who actually had money left in his campaign, and he donated that to an autism organization. And I thought, I got to help this guy. That was the nicest thing anybody ever did, you know, unprompted. And so um, I sent a letter and said, we need you to support uh, Representative Hager. He has since passed away. Uh, he was kind enough to donate the excess of his campaign contributions you know, to one of our local autism organizations, and we want him to come back into office because he cares about our population. So please vote for him. And and I w- would ask them to, after you vote for him, this is his email address. Maybe just, you know, click on it and say, hey, thanks for some autism. Something short, something, but nobody ever says, I'm going to vote for you and thank you. You never get those kind of emails. Uh, So that's something that members remember. Um, Legislative advocacy tools are good. They're extremely effective. If you can, you know, get the word out and get a bunch of people to respond immediately to something terrible that's happening. uh, Or something good that's happening. Or thank yous to go out after something didn't get vetoed or whatever the issue was. But the next level really is to is to create a pack that can influence us. PACs can send mailings and do commercials on behalf of candidates. So get to a point where you have enough people behind you that you could create a PAC, a, a political action committee. I would encourage you to do it. You can do a commercial. Um, you could d- do a short video or mailings. You can't say in a PAC, to vote for someone but you can say please call representative such and such and thank him for supporting our most vulnerable and that is just as effective and 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 valuable to a candidate as it is to you know do a a real campaign commercial okay So this is next level, creating, and I'm just going to go over this really quick. You can create a political action committee. Uh, We did this, and we knew every member intimately before they went in. We knew everything about their background, know their background, know their history, know their position um, on on issues. And um, when you create a PAC, you can join with other PACs and like we sent questionnaires for, for candidates on our issues. If, if they answered them fine, if they didn't fine, I mean, there's some that people just don't want to answer. Like I remember when I ran and I got a questionnaire, you know, from the NRA and my, my uh, campaign manager said, just don't even answer it. Cause you can't, there's no right answer. No matter if you feel this way, you say something wrong, they hit you with with commercials, you know, negative commercials. It's really an ugly, ugly process. But one of the things we did was we would set up formal candidate interviews before elections. So we knew who the who the people were. This is before they were elected, before they became famous. And we would ask them questions. And sometimes you have different people around table from from. Uh, different types of organizations, people that are for inclusion, people that are, you know, forward ways. It, it, there's no right answer when they come in. So when you set up formal interviews, I always used to be at the last one and I would do um, a lightning round because they had talk their way out of the their the answer, because they're not sure if it's the right answer. But so I said, okay, we're going to do a lightning round. All right. So I'm just going to name an issue and you tell me if you're for or against, I don't, I don't want any explanations. Just tell me, you know, and so I would name things like, you know, medical marijuana. Okay. Or against recreational marijuana, charter schools, uh, uh, scholarship, opportunity scholarship, so you get you really can get an idea of which side the, of the fence these people are on. You just have to think about the questions you want to ask them, and then some of the things. When when I got the right answers, I always had my checkbook, so I'd always write them a check if I if I wanted um, to help them get elected. I'm like I like you. After afterwards, would have like a cocktail thing, and I'd say, here's a check. I want to support you. And some people are very, very grateful. And they'll never forget that, that you were with them before they got into office. And so um, always always uh, set up the interviews, ask the questions that are the most important to your constituency, and bring checks. But know your candidates. Know, know the donors. If you're collecting checks for a candidate, and this happened to me, and this is one of the reasons I did not get reelected. I helped somebody early on before I even decided to run for office. I helped a man get his daughter placed in a a community uh, group home. She was an adult, and he wrote me a check for five hundred dollars—a personal check. But as it turned out, he was um, he was an executive with Big Sugar. Now, in my district was the Everglades. So there was a commercial that they made that because they were trying to get me out of office. And when you're on the chamber floor and you hold your hand up with your microphone to turn it on if you want to debate, they had a picture of me with my hand and a bag of money with a big dollar sign on it that said big sugar on it that I was destroying the Everglades. And a commercial ran every 15 minutes. My husband and I would sit there and my husband's like, Susan I don't think you're going to win. This is a horrible commercial. We you know, we live in western Florida. It's right along the Everglades. But it was a political action committee that wanted me out of office. And um that's how I that that commercial single-handedly buried me, but it was like I said, God works in some ways. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um cuz I was making $29,000 a year. That's what I mean. These Florida at least they get paid nothing let the, the kids get paid nothing and so you know one of the things that I would like to see is rather than having their regular jobs interfere with the decisions they're making pay them more money and tell them they don't you know just leave their regular job because there is a conflict always that's one of the reasons we never got our bill for um uh, insurance mandatory autism insurance because, the speaker worked for Blue Cross. Bring tracks, know your candidates, follow all their previous legislation, amendments, and their votes. Know your incumbents' votes. And just become a, an influential and powerful voice that reflect your numbers. Your numbers are big. You may not know it, but if you look to it, your numbers are big. And get involved at the next level. Uh, group collaboration is really effective. So get,
0: and Susan, I just wanted to assist. jump in for a sec, just to say, um, we should probably take questions pretty soon. Okay, uh, this is listen. I think my last. Okay, is this your last slide?
2: I think so. All right. So group collaboration is just effective. So get national associations like the Professional uh, Association for your providers of service. Develop a joint agenda. Maintain communications with elected officials. Let them know that you're all trying to work together. Um, help with the reelection as they ascend. You know who's who's moving the ladder. Um, find candidates who deeply care about autism. Join a winning campaign. Look at the, the numbers. Is it a 60-40? Is it a 70-30? Know if the Democrat or the Republican is going to win and help the one that is going to win, even minimally, just because you know they're going to be making decisions that affect your life and the life of your child. One of the biggest things you can do, the biggest things you can do is to work a precinct. People would say, I am going to volunteer. I'm going to help you with your campaign. The biggest thing you can do is say, I have three or four hours to spare. Um, what can I do? Work a precinct. People, I had like 75 precincts in my district. And there's no way you can be at every one on election day. But if you have somebody there with your sign, handing out your palm card, asking to please vote, she's helped people with disabilities, she's helped our most vulnerable, please vote. Working a precinct if you don't wanna donate money is one of the best things you could do. And also raising a lot of small checks. These are some of the things that we passed in in the past. Uh, The autism license plate, therapeutic intervention program, we included autism and med waiver services. We increased uh, our centers for autism and related disabilities. Uh, we started respite service for people that are on the waiting list, legislation uh, for adults with disabilities where we can access more funds from Vogue Rehab, which is a federal program. Uh, funding for behavioral group homes, people that are really challenged We also have the McKay Scholar. These are scholarships for kids with developmental disabilities who are not learning anything in their schools and they can go and use those vouchers. Now they're called opportunity scholarships to get therapeutic intervention rather than, you know, the academic so that they're ready. We passed our license plate. We raised, I, I, yesterday, yesterday, I, I went through 60 grants. We raised, um, several hundred thousand dollars a year with that and our check off that I talked to you about in our podcast. Um, We did legislation for planned residential communities, we mandated autism training for police. One of the things that uh, asked the PBA to help me with, the guy I met in the elevator. Uh, And we rewrote our 393 statutes for the um, people with disabilities, the agency for persons with disabilities, because our guardianships, I mean, parents, had to go to classes to be guardians. I'm like, I've been doing this 24 seven for 18 years. Why do I have to take class to become a guardian? So we now have um, guardian advocate language where all you have to do is file with the court. But um, know the statutes. You'll run into, there's people that are on here that are older, there's people that are on here that are just starting the journey. Um, there's lots and lots of things that you're going to come across that, uh, you're, you're going to want to change. And these are some of the different legislations we passed. Um, the autism plate took us two years the autism insurance took 12 years. And, um, when you're talking about things like insurance mandates, that's big. There's so much money and so, so much opposition. I mean, these these people created all these different providers, created a coalition. They hired the governor's top fundraisers, their lobbyists. They gutted this bill year after year. Um, We finally got final passage. And that's something that's very heart wrenching to watch by Speaker Rubio when he was the speaker of the last bill of the session. I'm telling you, if you want to cry and be happy at the same time, it was so bittersweet because. The Senate wouldn't pass the bill that the House sent over. The House included Down syndrome. They included uh, other developmental disabilities. The Senate only wanted autism. So they weren't going to pass anything. And Marco Rubio got up and said, listen, we're never going to have perfect legislation. But there were two people. One was the um, majority leader and one was... um, the Democrat whip, and uh, they both had kids that wouldn't qualify. And it was so, it was so sad. You know, the people that had kids with autism were happy, but it was so sad for everyone else. And um, it's something that everybody's going to remember for a very long time. But those are the things that you run into. These are the things we're working on uh, now, and a lot of them are just every year, increase med med waiver funding, fund the waiting list, you know, fund more, you know, crisis funding and and triage those that are waiting, stop state reductions in service limitations, direct support professional rate increases, need better transportation and economic opportunities, um, some of our transportation that's done through our counties make these kids, uh, you know, that are working, that are using the, they call ours is tops, but you know, each vendor is selected by each county and some of them wait for over an hour. And I just think that's acceptable. So we're working on trying to get them to be able to use Uber and stuff. So these are all, I, I don't, I know you're in a hurry, so I don't want to go through all of them, but, um. You know, we're always fighting thousand foot rule for our communities of support uh, that I talked about in the podcast, um, increased education um, options for people that have obstacles to employment, uh, well, the pilot program for, med, uh, for managed care. I always fought against managed care, always, always thought there was never a reason to add a level of management and another payee when that's what the agency was for so why do we have to go through a managed care company that not only you know may change the determination of what the assessment says and what you need but also is taking something off the top but are there's so many people moving here and our waiting list is now 20,000 people that how many people 22,000 mm. um, and growing but they just put out their proposed budgets for next year, the agencies, and they're putting another thirty-five or forty million into the waiting list, and that's honestly all it can handle because we don't have the direct support professionals to implement their their uh, cost, their plans, their assessments. Um, one of the things that I do and that I specialize in is I and I pick projects, and I know if people have the ability to bring their vision to fruition. And that is get them a line item in the budget, provide special appropriation fundings for local, funding for local projects and needs. And that's, I'll tell you, that's something that if you if you have it in your state, you can get a line item for a specific program that provides services to a large constituency of people you're actually helping the entire state. You're helping that agency service those people. So some people will look at it as kind of like a parochial ask, oh, you just want it for your area? No, we want to help those people that are on your waiting list to get some kind of services. And, you know, it it, it is a statewide service. It isn't a parochial thing because anybody there that wants the service. So, you know, it's a word game. And that's it. I'm done. Wow, I don't think there was enough
0: advice in there, Susan. Really, a <laughs> hundred and one points of advice for you for your local and state advocacy. I'm going to quiz you all to see what you remember. Oh my God, that was amazing. Um, you know, I, I'm going to. There are a lot of questions, but I just want to start off with a really general issue that our constituents have, and that's. They're having a hard enough time advocating for their own child. They feel that, and and I understand, I'm of course very sympathetic, they don't have bandwidth to go the next step, to do the things in your bullet points that I think are very important, right, to advance programs. Look at the success you have had, you know, by doing that. But you're Susan, like you're, you're amazing. And I can't believe how much you've accomplished and the chutzpah you have and the confidence you have. Um, What advice do you generally have for these parents who already feel very overwhelmed?
2: Call your, call your state representative first. If you can't get something that you need in your county health department or your county uh, resources aren't there for you, call your state representative. Your state representative is the closest person to you in your capital, your state capital. Um, Senators have much bigger districts. Your state representative will help you. You you could call your senator too, but that would be my first recommendation. Call your state. I I
0: guess mine's a little more. My question is a little more conceptual. That you know they want to change things more broadly. But they're so consumed with the difficulties of their own child. How do they move past that? How do they have the time? How do they have the energy to do more general
2: advocacy beyond their own immediate needs? I would say fight for the services that would first provide you that opportunity, like respite. Yeah. Okay. So get the services so you do a you might not go like, uh oh. away for the weekend or, you know, (laughs) to the hotel with your husband to get away, that respite service might give you the time to go to Tallahassee or to go to your capital and say, listen, you know, we're taxpayers. Our children deserve what every other child is entitled to. But, you know, respite service is one of the first things that I went for. All right. Thank you. Leanne, I'm going to turn it over to you for... Oh, I'm
0: sorry, what? I said, I know it's hard. It is hard. It is so hard. Yeah.
2: But having a group, having a a support group and having people around you, you know, that can help bear some of the burden is always really helpful.
0: Yeah. And um, I think as people know at NCSA, we don't really do a lot of direct state advocacy. We rely on people who are volunteers in their respective states and we're there to support them. But we do want to build these voices.
2: Leanne, I'm gonna turn well, it on. There's something to you. called real quickly, there's yeah. something called the NCSL, the National Council on State Legislators. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you see legislation happening in one state and then all of a sudden it pops up in three or four other states, because they're looking at what's happening in another state, there's actually uh meetings that go on. Where state legislators get together of like minds and they pass legislation. Huh. So uh, and and many people can sponsor that. You don't have to be a legislator. You legislators can attend, but you can also be a sponsor. So if you have a company that and you say, you know, we have this company, we really want to help these people, and a lot of parents do have companies, a lot of parents are successful, not all of them, and, and sometimes they're bankrupt very quickly. But if you have an opportunity to sponsor something and ask them to push legislation, not just in your state, but at the national Council, yeah, that's helpful. Wow, great bit of advice.
0: Leanne, I'm turning it over to you for questions and um, further comments.
3: Sure. Um, I just want to take a brief moment um, to uh, thank everyone for attending. Um, I know I've had questions about what advocacy was and, and how to do it. So I feel like we got a lot of great, real information from someone who's done it and been on both sides. So, um, you know, make sure and, and add this into your toolkit. Um, and I want to also take a moment to just address um, to get more people involved. Um, we are still looking for state chairs. Right now, I have a state chair for Illinois, Kansas, Texas, and oh, I'm missing one. Um, who am I missing? Da, 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 Tennessee. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jackie. I'm uh, Tennessee. So um, that's a good way to start getting involved is, um, you know, if, if you have the bandwidth to be one of our state chairs um, and take some initiative and leadership for us, um, that would be a great opportunity for, for you to get involved if you have that. Once we get those state chairs set up, you know, it will make it easier for those of you who don't have as much bandwidth to get involved because you'll have someone kind of handling some of the upper level um, tasks that are needed. So please, if you are interested, please email me um, and let me know um, that you are interested in, and we'll we'll uh, we'll talk. Um, uh, just also, I want to go over. Um, you know, we are talking about a grassroots campaign. Um, that's what our grassroots network is. And that really means from the bottom up. So that does mean we need individuals involvement. And so, uh, you know, the advice we had to talk if you do have specific issues, if you are not receiving services um, that you, um, you know, we call it an empty waiver is the name that we are calling it, um, you know, it that is an appropriate uh, uh, task for you to contact your legislator and say, hey, you know, my son is qualifying for this or my daughter we're not accessing those services. That's a great way to call attention to our population and the issue. So, um, you know, you don't have to wait for us uh, to tell you to to advocate. You can and take those opportunities yourself if you are um, in that, those positions. Um, just trying to see anything else. Oh, let's look at some of the questions. I think um, when I read some of the questions that we're getting, um, There is a concern. Uh, People are, uh, Susan, maybe you can help us out with this. One of the questions people have are, they're concerned if they do kind of, uh, if they are the squeaky wheel, they're kind of worried about maybe retaliation or coming off. Can you maybe have some pointers for people? Um, I think some of this is a matter of decorum, but you probably have better advice that way. Well, my advice
2: is don't be bashful. You'll never get anything for your child or your family unless you ask and you keep asking. There's no, there's nothing there. Who's going to retaliate against a parent that is only trying to help, you know, the most vulnerable of uh, among us. This population has, I mean, there's so many other groups that aren't anywhere near the size of our constituency that have surpassed us. In in legislating and and uh, services and attention and and uh, funding, it's our kids should and and that's something you know that I have always said. You know, the most vulnerable among us who have no voice. When I get up and speak, I you know I say, I'm telling you this but the people think of three or 4,000 people behind me that don't have a voice that can't tell you this. This is why I'm here. They don't have a voice. I'm their voice. Your voice. your They through no fault of their own. God put them on this earth. They can't help themselves. They have to be at the top of your priority list. And you know, it, it, it hits them. It, they get it. And that's when I said I drew a line between human services and social services. Human services are people with developmental disabilities or nonverbal people, people who can't help themselves, people that are medically needy, that can't afford an organ transplant or can't afford the, the medicine that they need to keep that organ going. Okay, you can't just walk away from them. You have to help them. And of course, the the frail elderly who have no families anymore. Those are the three populations. And yes, do we have to help people who are on drugs? We do. Do we have to help people who have issues with alcohol and other substance abuse? Of course, we help them. But we, you know, you help them once. You can't keep helping them and then not helping people that really, really need it. That have no other choice. They had perfectly held bodies, yeah, they might've had mental illness and they, they destroyed their bodies. And uh, believe me, I know I, there are people close to me that, that has happened to, and sometimes it angers me. It angers me that, you know, I had an aunt who died of alcoholism. How dare she, this poor woman destroy her body when Stephanie didn't ever had a chance. It used to really anger me. And it, it took me a lot to get over that. But people do understand in the legislature that you have to take care of our most vulnerable, the most vulnerable.
0: I'd okay. never heard the distinction between human services and social services before. I appreciate that. Thank you. Go ahead, Leanne.
3: Another question we got is um, some. People are asking on, um, you know, various state boards that exist. Does it help to be registered with any prevailing party if you wanted to be a member of one of your those boards?
2: You should be registered with the person you're asking <laughs> to appoint <laughs> you. But, but you know, like in Florida, the governor is uh, is Republican. He's going to vote. You know, probably. But he has. I mean, our FEMA director was Jared Moskal. Jared Moskowitz is now a, a congressman, um, and I'll tell you what, Jared Moskowitz was the best FEMA director we ever had, and and it's a big position in Florida with all our hurricanes. Jared was a Democrat, and the governor saw how much he knew and the, the experience he had. He was just, he was great, and now he's our great congressman, and I know that the governor still thinks he's a great guy and, and he's very smart and is probably very happy that he won. I mean, he wasn't happy that he left his administration to run for Congress, but the governor um, thought there's some a lot of really good Democrats that um, are appointed to many positions in Florida. People just don't see that part of it. They hear what they hear on in, on the mainstream media and they don't know
3: but it's right. true. That's, yeah. Um, so another question we have is um, at the state level, um, the, the Kandra asks, um, what's the easiest way to find the local statutes, laws related to special ed, disability rights, et cetera. How can they become educated in the state laws and disability rights relative to their states? What's What's some recommendations you have?
2: Every single legislature in every state has a website. In Florida, it's my Florida House, that's the House of Representatives. In Florida, it's Senate.gov And that gives you all the information. And there's tabs on the side, you know, for budget issues, uh, for meetings, for press releases. And there's also one for state statutes. I mean, everything's on the internet now. If you wanna see the state statutes, you can pull it up. It's usually a PDF. So you could always do control F, which means find. So if you're looking for a specific word, like if you want to look up at autism or you want to look up guardianship, just uh, go onto the PDF that's on the website for the statutes. And they're usually you know, volumes and volumes, but if you do control F on a PDF, it's, it's the way to find a little box will come up and you can put your word in or your, whatever trigger that you're looking for. That's how I do it.
3: Okay. Um, I see a few questions. People are interested in the state chair position. Um, if you are interested, um, uh, there are some tasks and things like that I can talk, but please email me. I'm going to put it in the, let's see in the chat, I think if you are interested in learning more about it, I will schedule a Zoom to talk to you. So I see a few questions about that. So um, everybody, if you check in the chat, my email's in there. So um, please do uh, uh, just message me there and, and we can talk a little bit more about roles and responsibilities. It it really it comes down to we're we're having the state chairs kind of take the initiative about what they want to prioritize as their issues, and in working with the other members of the national grassroots network, you kind of work together to figure out what your priorities are and um, kind of organize yourself. So we don't do a lot of micromanaging of these positions. We do try to accommodate and offer some resources to you, such as our Zoom um, and uh, letterhead and uh, letter writing that we can help support. So. Um, that's just a really high level explanation of the state chair, but please email me if you are interested and, and we can talk more one-on-one.
0: Um, I want to say the one priority, Susan, that kind of runs throughout all 50 states is of course about Medicaid spending for adult services. That's a huge priority for the people who follow us. Um, you know, not only the wait list issue, but even assuming you're in off wait list, you know, having a waiver that you can really use um, because getting agencies, getting the services you need in the community is exceedingly hard. You mentioned, of course, the direct service provider crisis. Do you have any specific, um, I guess, ideas, advice when it comes to advocating for wiser and more Medicaid spending for adults with autism?
2: You know, I've told the chairman of these Health and Human Services Committees year after year after year, it doesn't matter how much you allocate to take these people off the waiting list and or how much you allocate for services. What matters is the rate that is established for healthcare administration. If the rate to hire people To provide these services, whether it's personal care assistance or, um, you know, companions or whatever it is, if the rate isn't high enough, you're not going to have the people answering the call. Yeah, you'll have some people that really do have, you know, altruistic values and want to help the people that need help, but you're not going to be finding anybody that really wants to make money. So... I always say no matter how much you throw at these issues you're not you're going to have a surplus at the end because you're never going to be able to find enough people to fill the positions that you have funded because the rate that they get paid the amount that is fixed and and decided by the agency for healthcare uh, administration is too low. So I would say the first thing to do is go to your agency for healthcare administration and advocate to increase rates for people who are direct service providers of the developmentally disabled.
0: Thank you. Leanne, back to you.
3: Um, Sorry, I'm going through a little bit. Um, Let's see. Uh, pardon me. I'm going through state boards, DSP training. Oh, DSP training is coming up. Like <clears throat> um, is- um, I guess there's a few questions that are talking about um, oversight of agencies who are providing services. Um, programs, for getting providers to comply with them is another story. So. Um, Okay, so I think this you person is in California, but I think there has been questions about that. Um if I th- think the question is um how, how can you use a legis uh, maybe legislative effort um if an agency isn't providing services um for the oversight, it looks state like. State yeah, state I'm state trying to there's a state couple state of them. There's another so how could you combat an agency they're saying in California DDS that isn't really pre- I, Providing oversight of our regional centers. Um, I
2: guess that, well, we have a, a tool that
3: legislators
2: use in Florida, and I'm sure other states have comparable tools. Uh, it's called OPAGA. I know you just ask the, and it has to be done by a presiding officer or I think a, a council chair to ask for a uh, an opaga report and opaga stands for the office of um policy and government GA, i don't know the office of policy and government accountability uh every state should have one and one once they, go, once they look into something, it's it's an oversight, but they do a very thorough check. And, you know, if an OCAGA report, sometimes it's kept a little quiet that it's even happening. Some people don't even know. But, um, you know, if you ask your state representative um, or your senator to request it or ask their presiding officer to request it, because it's the only way that you're going to get to the bottom of it. Sometimes it'll happen. Sometimes they'll tell you, forget it. It's never going to happen, but you, your, your best bet is to go to the presiding officer, write a letter to the speaker of the house and say, this is, you know, unconscionable. This needs to be investigated. Every state has a policy and, um, government accountability, uh, department or or organization that um does it they have a whole staff and they do a deep dive and uh you can send them questions when you find out that they're and you have to also follow to see you have to follow news if you go on these websites for the house and the senate of your state there's news and it'll say you know an opaga study will be done on such and such committee or such and such uh, uh, organization, uh, association, they do it on a bunch of different things. So you have to just fight to get it done and then fight to include your information.
3: Um, but, another question coming out of Texas is, um, but it's a question that we see quite often is, um, this family is you know, saying that there's very little in place for residential um, for their severely affected adult. So what would you recommend? Um, what level of government would they start at talking to um, to petition first? Would they go through the state? Would it be a federal task? How would you recommend them going about addressing their need for their loved ones?
2: Federal law requires them to have accommodations for people. That's what a waiver is. A waiver is you're waiving your right to keep your loved one at home, and you're turning them over to be a ward of the state. Okay. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. um, And it has to be done through the courts, but then the state must look at the level of independence of your loved one and provide services and if they're in what we call intermediate care facilities it's between a an institution and we still have one institution in in Florida and the waiver there's the the home and community based waiver means people are living in community-based settings, and regular group homes with the support that is required by their assessment and paid for by their Medicaid waiver cost plan. But the intermediate care facilities for the developmentally disabled are federally funded, not state funded. Now, Medicare Medicaid does meet what the state puts in for group homes. But the um, intermediate care facilities are funded through the federal government. So those are areas where, or or I should say facilities, where there's sometimes complex behaviors, complex medical needs, and there has to be a uh, medical person on staff. And and that isn't required in a regular group home.
3: Um and then another question more general I think you kind of answered this al- already a bit is it better to contact your legislator or those who are in your uh, who are actually actively advocating for disabilities that are in maybe another if you're not a constituent of them would would you recommend them contacting the person who's actually advocating maybe on a disability committee or would you think their best bet would be to contact their direct legislator
2: well as i said earlier You always go to the one that's making the decision or holding the committee meeting or chairing that committee or, you know, deciding whether or not amendments can go on, legislation, always go to them first and then let them know who you are, what, you know, what issues you have with your child and how you want them to vote. And then go back to your legislator and say, I have contacted Chairman So." and so please go to him and tell him that you know we need this legislation for this population and you know make sure you follow up to make sure that she did then call back the chairman and say you know have you heard from you know senator robinson or whoever it is i asked them to come to you or have you heard from representative so and so Uh, i asked them to contact you up yeah, then. I'm going to ask you to ask
0: sure. uh, one more question, and then we yeah.
3: will uh, um, wrap it up. I'm trying to see if there's anything else. A lot of them are. Um, um, I think we've covered a good chunk of them. I'm trying to see if there's any. Um, oh, here's a fun one, maybe to end on. Um, uh, one of our members said, I think your power is in your ability to keep asking. Do you think the ability to not take no is a key to your perseverance?
2: They <laughs> used to call me the Black Knight. The Black Knight. I'll tell you, if someone says no to me, they just don't have enough information to say yes yet. So <laughs> my sister used to call me the Black Knight. I don't know if anybody ever saw those Monty Pice, the one where the guy cuts his his arm off and he's like you chicken come and fight me and then he cuts his other arm off and he gets why are you running away he's like you have no arms and then he cuts his legs off so that's no you have to you have to be relentless Mm -hmm. you have to let them know you're not going away you're coming back Mm -hmm. and if you don't come back you know you're going to send somebody to come back and and I'm blessed, you know, my husband was very supportive, you know, he's a CPA, he was very supportive, uh, you know, of me going back and forth and to all these meetings, but I was working full time anyway, before that, you know, we just cut our income up <laughs> by a few hundred thousand when I started doing this for nothing. And uh Yeah it's the
3: perseverance and I think you know I just want to say to all of our members um and it can be disheartening at times our situations but I think um we that's we just can't give up we have to support each other um and uh and that's what we're that's why we need to do what we're doing that's why we need to come together um and it's not going to be easy and you have to take no and keep on rolling and keep on trying so you (laughs) have to pray
2: a lot I pray a lot I just say God, he's the last person I talk to in the night and the first person in the morning. What I know that I was called to do this, you know, Hmm. and I say, what do I do
3: next? What what can I do to help people? Hmm. And I think everybody on this, anybody who's listening right now knows they've been called in some format and that's why they're here. Um, exactly. So so stay true to the cause and we'll keep everybody going and, and try to get support and everybody um, grouped together. We are going to, um, you know, the, the end goal for the grassroots for me is to get everything propped up, get people um, in every state, um, you know, uh, out there and connected and networked and then uh, have our states interconnected too um, at the state chair level. Hopefully we'll have the state chairs talking to one another um, about what's working for them and um uh, so you know we do have hopes please join please um anybody tell your friends who are in similar positions to join um you know we're, we're hoping to make some of the advocacy uh letter campaigns that we can offer you that you can just send in and, and it won't require a significant effort um and uh so please you know have your you know be involved at some level maybe not the state chair but you know read those um uh, emails that Jill's sending out um, because that um, pretty soon hopefully we'll have some uh, letter writing campaigns going um and uh, but again in the interim you know feel free to contact about your certain your specific situation um, and uh, contact your legislators if you have any um, daunting concerns about services not being provided um, that that is a cause to contact your legislator. so I think that's it and um, welcome to our state chairs. I, I'm not sure if they're on right now, but um, you know, hopefully we'll start seeing those st- stood up. Uh, like I said, we have Texas, Illinois, Kansas, and Tennessee. There'll be Facebook groups, there'll be um, uh, uh, Google groups as well that you'll be communicating with. And um, so if you are in those um, respective states, uh, you'll probably be contacted in the, in the near term about um, uh, maybe a webinar or uh, pardon me, a, a Zoom conference for those states. And um, hopefully we'll get some more people to, to um, you know, raise their hand <laughs> and get involved. So thank it's you. It's a everybody. marathon.
0: It's a marathon and not a sprint. So we'll be around yeah. for a long time. Susan, thank you so much for that absolutely outstanding, incredibly thought-provoking, very inspiring presentation. I think everybody wishes they had just 10% of Susan Goldstein in them, <laughs> you know, to do this sort of work that, that you do. Um, for your broader community. So thank you, and I know we will stay in touch. Pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Confidential. If you'd like to learn more, share an idea for an episode, or become a sponsor, please visit us at autismconfidential.org. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual speakers. Content presented is for informational purposes only, and we do not provide any medical or legal advice.